0: Hello, so this is me revising for Advanced Econometrics part 2.2, which deals with uh, time series, but more specifically uh, time series which deal with integrated problems or problems of unit roots, and then we proceed to multivariate time series and finally dynamic panel models. So this is the course structure and this is just for me because my qualifying examinations are coming. So let's get ahead. So the first chapter is univariate time series. Now the motivation for this chapter is that this uh, studying univariate time series with unit root uh which is this chapter it allows the possibility of permanent effects occurring that is a unit root occurring like previously when we had studied time series we usually just stuck to uh problems which uh where the unit roots were uh outside the unit circle so it did not uh, lead to problems of uh, permanent effects But now as policy makers, we also want to look at problems which have this and see how we can deal with it basically. So we'll be going for that, okay, so we begin uh, with elements of time series concepts and large sample theory. Try to recall what these concepts are and try to say them out loud uh, and just try to remember as much as possible of these. So the first important concept is strict stationarity. What is strict stationarity? So the very formal definition of strict stationarity is that a stochastic process in the k into one vector zt uh, is strictly stationary if for any subset a set of subscripts t1 t2 up till t9 tn n being a finite integer the joint distribution of ZT, ZT, plus T1, ZT plus T2, up till ZT plus TN depends only on T1, T2 till TN, but not on T. That is, the relative position in the sequence matters, but not the absolute position. Clearly, if zt is stationary then each of its element is also stationary the converse though is not true so i again uh, go through the formal definition once a stochastic process in the k to 1 vector zt is strictly stationary if for any set of subscripts t1 t2 up till tn n being a finite integer The joint distribution of Zt, Zt plus T1, Zt plus T2, up till Zt plus Tn depends only on T1, T2, Tn, but not on T. That is, the relative position in the sequence matters, but not the absolute position. So, the very short definition in an informal way is that A stochastic process Zt is strictly stationary if for all t the joint distribution depends on the relative position in the sequence but not in the absolute position. Again, a stochastic process Zt is strictly stationary if for all t the joint distribution depends on the relative position in the sequence but not the absolute position. Now we move to the definition of weak stationarity which is also known as covariance stationarity. The formal definition is again a stochastic process zt is weakly stationary or covariance stationary if the expectation of zt is equal to mu which is the mean and this mean is constant and finitely valued mean vector So the first condition to be a weakly covariance stationary uh, stochastic process is that the expectation of ZT is mu which is a constant and finitely valued. The second condition is that the covariance of ZT and ZT minus S is equal to uh, expectation of ZT minus mu multiplied by ZT minus S minus mu is equal to uh, summation S is equal to summation minus S transpose S is equal to 0 to 1. So, autocovariance matrices are finitely valued and depend only on the displacement in time that is the value of the difference between the time indices. So, evidently if a time series is strictly stationary and all elements of its mean vector and its variance covariance matrix are finite then the time series is weakly stationary. An example of a univariate weakly stationary stochastic process is the white noise process. A serially uncorrelated process with mean 0. Zt with expectation Zt is equal to 0 and covariance zt zt minus h is equal to zero for h is equal to is not equal to zero. An example of a univariate stationary or strictly stationary process is the independent white noise process, for which zt uh, is normally d- distributed over a zero and uh, sigma square with IID denoting independently and identically distributed. So if a stochastic process is independently and identically distributed, then it is strictly stationary, always. And in general, a white noise process is weakly stationary. Now we move on to a more uh, intensive definition, which is the definition of ergodicity. Now, the formal definition is uh, more complicated, so for now we will avoid that. And just remember that, in simple words, ergodicity holds if two sets of random variables positioned sufficiently apart become independent. Again, in simple words, ergodicity holds if two sets of random variables positioned sufficiently apart becomes independent. Now we move to the ergodic theorem. Which was given by Rao in 1973. So the ergodic theorem is a law of large numbers, ensuring that we can consistently estimate any moment of an ergodic process, if that moment exists and is finitely valued. So the first thing is that let Zt be a stationary and ergodic process, of course, because we are dealing with ergodic processes here. It's called the ergodic theorem. So the zt has to be ergodic and we usually work with stationary and when we say stationary it's strictly stationary here so let zt be a stationary and ergodic process with expectation of zt equal to mu then zt bar is equivalent to t inverse summation of zt from t is equal to 1 to capital t and it almost surely converges to mu. So think carefully of what this says. So the ergodic theorem says that if Zt is a stationary and ergodic process with expectation Z T being mu, then Z T bar which is what? Z t bar is the mean is equivalent to uh, summation z t t from t is equal to 1 till t divided by t overall so 1 by t or t inverse multiplied by the summation of zt from t is equal to 1 to t so this is what this is the mean so zt bar and it's is equal into the formula for mean almost surely converges to mu so again if Zt is a stationary and ergodic process with expectation Zt is equal to mu. Then the mean also almost surely converges to mu. So hence, as I said, the ergodic theorem is a law of large numbers ensuring that we can consistently estimate any moment. And here we are estimating the mean, which is a moment of the process of the ergodic process and it converges to mu which is also basically we are saying that the expect like if the ergodic theorem says that the expectation Zt is almost surely converged, is equal to uh, the mean of the process so expect, expected value of Zt and the mean of the process are equivalent if it is a stationary and ergodic process that is what the ergodic theorem says. Then if we also discuss uh, the second moment, which is the variance. As for any measurable f- function f0, fzt is ergodic. If zt is ergodic, it follows that uh, the mean being equivalent to the expected values implies, for example, that the p limit t tends to infinity and the summation of z square divided by t is equal to the expected value of z square. Thus, t inverse summation of z square t is equal to 1 to t is a consistent estimator of expectation of z square. Now, here I am saying it as square, but when I say z t square, it is actually z t multiplied by ZT transpose which is equivalent to ZT square and just because it's easier to say I'm saying it lot, and it's also easier to remember when you think of it as uh, that Uh, but uh, ZT square is equivalent to ZT multiplied by ZT transpose. So again uh, the mean being equivalent to the expected value also uh, implies that the probability limit of when t tends to infinity of the summation of zt dot zt transpose uh, from t is equal to 1 to t into multiplied by t inverse uh, is equal to the expectation of zt dot zt transpose and thus it is a consistent estimator. Now, move to central limit theorems. Uh, so, previously we have already studied two different central uh, limit theorems. The first one being the Lindeberg Lavi uh, central limit theorem, which we used for IID processes. Then, we also uh, used a central limit theorem for ergodic processes that are serially uncorrelated, which is the Billingsley CLT. Now we would move to another uh, central limit theorem, which is the Gordon's central limit theorem. And this is to derive the consistency and asymptotic normalities of the OLS estimator in a linear regression model with moment conditions that involve terms that are serially correlated. So now the Gordon's CLT allows us uh, to use the CLT for ergodic processes that are also that are also serially correlated. So the Billingsley only allowed us to use it for ergodic processes that are serially uncorrelated. And the Lindeberg Levy CLT, which we used in part one of the course uh, with microeconometrics, was only for IID processes. The Lindeberg Levy CLT is for IID processes. The Billingsley CLT is for ergodic but serially uncorrelated and the Gordon's CLT is for ergodic and serially correlated processes. So, we will discuss now the Gordon's uh, CLT, now the Gordon's CLT for uh, it to hold we also have to satisfy certain Gordon's conditions. So only if Gordon's conditions are satisfied can we apply Gordon's CLT. To our ergodic process. So, now what are these conditions? So, the first condition is that if Zt is an ergodic process, then the expectation of Zt conditional on Zt minus k, Zt minus k minus 1, uh, as k tends to infinity, this value most surely converges to zero. That is the forecast of ZT based on more and more past information approaches to zero. So it then must also hold that expectation ZT is equal to zero. So I again repeat the first condition for Gordon's CLT. So the Gordon's condition number one is that the expected value of Zt conditional on Zt-k, minus Zt-k-1, minus minus uh, dot dot, and as it goes on, as k tends to infinity, it most surely converges to zero. That is, the forecast of Zt based on more and more distant past information approaches zero. Now, for condition number 2. What does condition number 2 says? So first for condition number 2 we have to define something stk. s with subscript tk. What is that? stk is equal to the expectation of zt conditional on the information set t minus k minus expectation zt conditional on the information set T minus k minus one. So again uh, what is STK? stk is our information shocks, which is defined as the expectation of Z T be conditional on uh, the information set T minus K. So uh, N minus expectation of Z T conditional on the information set T minus K minus 1. So, the information set T is defined as ZT, ZT minus 1 dot dot dot. So, uh, information set ZT minus K would be ZT minus K, ZT minus K minus 1, ZT minus K minus 2 and so on and so forth. So, if you have understood that, so this is just uh, the preliminary for the condition 2. The actual condition is that this information shock STK, now the summation of the expectation of STK transpose dot STK, which is basically STK square. So the expectation of STK square and this entire you thing to uh, the power half and you then you sum this entire thing from k is equal to zero to infinity, this should be finite. Now I don't know, I mean I think saying it out like it's easier to write down than to say it. So we begin with an expectation sign on the left k is equal to zero to infinity we have a bracket a square bracket open expectation sdk transpose dot sdk uh, and then uh, this entire expectation is within square bra- brackets which we uh, then have an exponent on this square bracket which is half and this should be finite so basically the expectation of stk square uh, to the power half and the sum of this entire thing k is equal to 0 to infinity should be finite so if these two conditions are met, and they hold true, which is that the first, again shortly the first condition, the expectation Z T uh, conditional on Z zt minus k Z T minus k minus one, dot dot dot, um, most surely converges to zero as k approaches infinity, and the. Um, expectation of stk square, O o to the power half and summed from k is equal to zero to infinity is finite, then we can apply the Gordon's CLT. So what is Gordon's CLT now? So if ZT is an ergodic process and suppose that Gordon's conditions are satisfied then expectation z t is equal to zero, which is the first moment, and the second moment is uh, converges so uh, to so the root t t minus one expectation t is so summation t is equal to one to t z t almost surely converges to Distribute can almost surely distributes to the normal distribution, uh, with mean zero. We already said expectation Z T is equal to zero, and the variance as uh, summation J is equal to minus infinity to infinity summation of tau J. Now, what is tau J? Tau J is equal to is equal to the expectation of ZT dot ZT minus J transpose. So that is what the Gordon's CLT tells us. Continuing on the definitions, now we proceed to the definition of IO process. What is a IO process? It's a IO process is a integrated of order zero process. Now, The formal definition is yt is an IO process that is integrated of order 0 if it is a weakly stationary process for which the long run variance namely limit tends to infinity variance uh, in brackets root t yt bar uh, close bracket is equal to summation from j minus infinity to infinity gamma j with gamma j being covariance yt yt minus j from j is equal to 0 1 2 till infinity and yt bar is the mean of course so 1 by t multiplied by summation from t is equal to 1 to t of yt. So and these limit of variance, a I mean and the variance is finite and positive. So again, what is a uh, IO process? Uh, IO process is integrated of order zero. And it, uh, if it is a weakly stationary process for which the long run variance is finite and positive. Again, a I.O. process integrated of order zero, example Yt is a I/O I.O. process if it is a weakly stationary process with a finite and positive long run variance. Once again an I.O. process is one where uh, It is a weakly stationary process for which the long-run process, for which long-run variance is finite and positive. And what is the long-run variance? The long-run variance uh, limit tends to infinity. Variance is root over t multiplied by the mean uh, is equal to summation j infinity minus infinity to infinity uh, gamma j and gamma j is covariance yt and yt minus j now what is an id process which is an integrated of order d so we from io process we move to id process and id process which is an integrated of order d process uh, it is if yt is an I D process if it's d at difference uh, if it's d at difference delta d y t is io in particular if d is equal to one y t is called a unit root process. So uh, again an id process, uh, y, uh, so yt is an id process, if it is d difference, delta dyt is io and in particular if d is equal to 1, then yt is called a unit root process.